Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 81. Do you want to transform your boring staff meetings into enjoyable team building exercises that are still productive? Today's show with Jack Elkins, head of Orlando Magic's Innovation, will help you do that. Jack shared how his team makes everyone equal when they come to the table. With that equality comes responsibility and a need to mitigate how many one-off projects they invest in. Jack also discussed how to create a culture of experimentation and shared the email address that you can contact to get 10 key phrases that help implement this culture. The address is language at persportives.com. Look for it in our show notes. Come join our iconic team at Making Innovation Count in 2018 conference in Kansas City, December 15th. We'll be talking about key tactics, trends, and learnings to help corporate innovators execute on their core innovation initiatives. The link for registration is in the show notes. So talk a little bit about how it got started and kind of where you are in the journey and and what exactly is the Orlando Magic Lab? Sure. One of the first things to mention with why it got started is this realization that we are not inoculated from the same disruptions that face any other company. There's countless examples of certain industries that you think are doing really well and the NBA is doing very well. They still face the same challenges that every other industry faces. So a little more than three and a half years ago, we decided to try to activate this core value both internally and externally. And we decided to start internally and make sure we were set up there before we did anything with any outside partners. So the way we did that was the first, our first step was to create a physical space. We created a a lab, a physical space where the interactions in that space, the space was set up differently than any other spot in our company. And so it signified that we do things differently. In fact, when you come in the space before we do a project, you actually, we, we check in, we remove our badge and we hang it on a hoop that we have in the room. And it's not just a way of, um, physically showing that we're all voices are equal. We actually check in and everybody sees and hears everybody else in the room. And the whole goal is to make sure that we remove the barriers to the creative potential of our staff so that our staff can create solutions to our needs, our fans' needs, and then align around those solutions together. So we've studied, in order to activate this this lab, we've studied several social technologies, several design methodologies, and several lean business practices, and coupled them all together to run over 50 projects with our staff. And over the course of the last three and a half years, what we've seen is it's laid the groundwork, and these things are journeys. They, they take time. Right. I don't believe an organization can drop a book on the desk, implement innovation, and have it take off overnight. What we've done is we've set the groundwork for, uh, with a culture change, uh, mm-hmm. a culture that's much more open to experimentation. Uh, we see many more projects happening within departments, not just within the innovation lab itself. And we've seen sort of a, a design methodology take shape across the organization. And in fact, it, I believe it's been uh, successful to the point that in the last eight months, our capacity of the team to do new projects is actually very low because we're doing so many things which is pretty fun. You, you mentioned you, you put like 50 projects or, or more through the, the lab itself. Are, are those uh, internal projects, like uh, optimization of existing business model stuff and, and that, or is it external projects? Well, tell me a little bit of, about the types of projects that are going through the lab and uh, what's working around that. Your assumption is exactly right. When we launched, 
we started internally. And what was really great was uh, it, it did a few things for us. One, in order to get ourselves ready in, in a place where we were capable of innovating with outside partners, we sort of had to fix some issues we had. So before you could even start innovating, you had to clear out some of the stuff that staff knew was wrong or things that we didn't like, but maybe there just wasn't a mechanism, a process, or a method in place to bring that to light. So a lot of our first projects with a group called our Innovation Catalyst actually took on challenges that we had internally that were barriers to us being able to solve some problems. Uh, so a majority of our first projects were all internal process-oriented type things, and it really had a big impact on our business. Most of them were not the type of things that you would say had huge return on investment, uh, which we could talk about metrics and measurements later on, but they were things that had big savings. And then I'll finish with the other two ways that we've, where we've gone on this journey in terms of figuring out how a small to mid-sized business can, can innovate. And we, we do not, sports teams, there's a misnomer, sports teams are not flush with cash like it might seem. <laughs> we, we run pretty lean and mean, and so there's not a lot of money. Sports teams, they operate very cyclically, season to season, and it's not like there's a big cash pool of resources to start a, a totally different department because all the teams are sort of measured equally against each other in the revenue share and the way collective bargaining is set up. The teams are meant to be designed to have parity in the league. And so to do something different is truly an investment uh, from our side. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we started internally with the lab. We then took those resources and the things that we'd learned and we knew that we didn't have all the knowledge we needed to succeed. So we wanted to run open innovation projects with our partners. And so, for instance, when you think about sports, a big chunk of the revenue that a sports team brings in during the year is actually partially controlled by third parties, not solely controlled by the team. I'll give you an example. Our ticketing provider, Ticketmaster, you know, has a huge influence on, on that part of our business. We have a concessionaire that has a huge impact on the revenue that we bring in from food sales. You know, with the league revenue that we receive based on national TV rights deals and, and the contract the NBA has with Disney and ESPN and ABC, you know, those are, those are big chunks of revenue that are not solely controlled by the magic. So it makes sense for us to want to do projects with partners of ours, but it's more importantly, it's in place so that we can find the knowledge that we need, the knowledge that we don't have to keep our business model nimble and moving forward. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we, we participate in the tech ecosystem. So there's two things I think that are important, the ability to create solutions and the ability to source solutions, because you don't always have to create something. You just need to find that thing that's already been created, maybe in a different industry or whatnot. So we participate in the ecosystem of, um, I would say that the tech ecosystem, we're a member of the regional angel network. Mm -hmm. We're very active with a couple of universities and their tech transfer offices and seeing what they have coming out of the university. We pay attention to several VCs and several sports accelerators to see what tech is being focused on by startups and what really cool potential uh, technologies are, are out there that we can be an early adopter of because usually there's some really great economies of scale being an early adopter or some really great opportunities. And then it's not just a chance to, to see what's coming, but oftentimes the things that we want to create, we're a sports team. We do not have a development house or development shop in-house. Right. So we need to know great places to look to get something done or built if it's a concept that we want to accomplish. So we, we have a lab, we have innovation collaborations, and we have 
how we participate in the ecosystem. And that's an interesting, you know, again, with a small team and that, how do you start prioritizing and understanding which particular kind of bets to place within the lab? So you have opportunities to innovate around your business model, you know, generating different revenue sources. You've got uh, innovation opportunities with the team itself as far as new technologies to make them better. Uh, how do you kind of determine what goes in the lab or, or uh, how to prioritize what particular ideas to tackle and, and execute on? Great question. I would say in terms of priorities, there is really not a whole, there's not a lot of science to it because sometimes you want to take advantage of an opportunity that pops up and sometimes there's a need that pops up. I would say that there's a few things that we look at and we use as a lens to help guide our decision making. The first is, is we want to make sure we have a balance of strategic projects that come down from leadership, external projects, and one-off projects. So we have a process in place for any member of staff to propose a project as long as we get a, a project GM that says this is worth spending time and resources on. But you don't want to have a whole lot of one-off projects because they're harder to put back into the business because they might not necessarily fit. Uh, you don't just want to have a whole lot of leadership strategic projects because sometimes they might be focused more on the here and now. They might not be thinking far enough out. And then you don't just want to be focused solely on external projects because it's also harder to bring back into the business model because what we, one of the things a mentor of mine showed me years ago was a principle from Margaret Wheatley. And it's kind of a combination of two of her principles and it states that people care about what they create and they're responsible when they care. And so the premise is, is if you don't have a hand in creating it, it's very hard to, to bring it back into the business unit. So sometimes it's hard to have standalone innovation groups that do all the work on their own and then try to throw something back in the business because a lot of times the business doesn't feel ownership of it. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things though, I think that's important in terms of a lens in looking at priorities is I think the horizons of innovation is a really great model for how you map your projects and thinking about, do we have our investments? Do we have our focus? Balance might be the right word, or at least uh, addressing the core areas of our business. And again, we, we're lucky that we have a guiding principle and our core value that we get to turn back to and look at as, as, as a waypoint on that. You mentioned metrics earlier in that. So we talked a little bit about how you prioritize what particular ideas come into the funnel and, and how they're kind of mapped across the horizons of innovation that how do you then actually measure success, uh, especially with, again, a small team in a, a different type of market? Okay, I, I, I want to I bridge the two with the story. So one of the things that we did to help prioritize was a little, a little more than two years ago, we did a project with our leadership called Disrupt 2020. And we asked our leadership three open-ended questions in order to capture everything that they believed could disrupt the magic or the NBA in the next five to 10 years. And then we, uh, a version of the Delphi method in order to actually vote on, on these, these categories, these things that they identified without having discussion in the room, without having one voice sort of dominate uh, one thing or another. And it, it led to 12 principles and we then took those and we went to our C-suite and we created areas of focus under each. And it was really helpful in identifying several things that we should prioritize. But I would tell you that it actually was kind of, a, it was actually kind of a failure. And one of the reasons why was we did not, the, we sort of raced to put the questions together. We didn't have the questions uh, really, really written out well. One of the things that was missing was I really like 
the guys from Eat Big Fish, their propelling question, which includes a, a bold ambition and a significant constraint in every question. We were missing the significant constraint. Mm-hmm. And we took on these monstrous big challenges that were actually something that might have been a little too large. They ended up breaking up into several small projects when we kept bringing them into the lab. And it was a little discouraging the staff because the progress was something that was very slow. And so we learned that in order to take on these longer form projects, we needed to uh, make sure we had our staff sort of ready for that and these teams and these, the staff members that work on this primed to spend more time on it long term. And so I mentioned that story to say there are a lot of things that we have not that have not succeeded. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of that that was helpful in terms of strategy, but a lot of that didn't work. And so one of the things we use for measurement is, is hindsight. Uh, I would not say we use it, we started with any metrics to begin with other than simply tracking engagement, the number of staff members who participated in projects, and we wanted to make sure we were pushing projects through the lab. But since then, one of the things that we've identified is, you know, staff will gravitate in a design process towards the ideation portion. And what you need to make sure that you're pushing is this mentality of experimentation. So this year, one of the things that we're tracking is number of experiments. And it's something that we can track in sort of a real-time measurement uh, versus hindsight, and it's a way to make sure that we're, uh, you can't measure, you can't say that you're going to be effective, but research shows that certain numbers of experiments, if you, if you hit certain numbers, or at least um, if you do a lot, you're, you increase your chances of success. So what we want to do is make sure we're, we're upping the number of experiments. I would say, separate from that, one of the key things, and I go back to is the horizons of innovation and making sure that because you can't plan for the success, all you can do is set up your investments and your processes to make sure that there's a portion of your business and time and resources that is spent making sure your business is going to be nimble and able to move forward based on things that it encounters. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the great ways to make sure you're mapped in a way to measure that you're set up to be effective is through something like the horizons of innovation. The, the last thing I want to kind of talk about, uh, because we don't have a lot of time, one of the things you talked uh, a lot about at the back end of innovation conference was kind of the culture uh, that you've set uh, within the lab and within your organization. And uh, a lot of that stuff resonated uh, with me and, and other companies that we work with. Um, that culture is so important. So talk a little bit about some of the things that you use to kind of craft that culture or make sure that culture permeates across the organization. And specifically, you you talked a lot about like language that you use. Can you talk a little bit more about culture in that? Yeah. So one of the, one of the most amazing things that came out of our initiative in starting the lab was this really, this, this shift we saw in our culture to become, to being more open to uh, being less judgmental, to being more experimental. Um, and I attribute part of that to some of the mentalities that are reinforced in the lab. And uh, I think I think you got a chance to see one of the things that we have as a part of our playbook, which is these key 10 phrases we've learned over the past three and a half years, that when somebody doesn't even know how, where to start in terms of culture, they don't even know where to start in terms of like, it's great when the leader says uh, it's okay to fail, but have they really ever been shown or like how to 
how to make how to react that it's okay to fail, right? Um, it's a, sometimes there's a lot of innovation theater that happens. We actually came up with ten key phrases, and I'll I'll let your listeners have this as a gift. We have a um, I have a uh, autoresponder set up for those key ten phrases. And if you just email, there's no gimmicks here. If you just email language at persportives.com, it's the word perspective with sport in the middle. Language at persportives.com. It'll send you the 10 key phrases that we use in our lab. And that's one simple thing that can help with influencing the potential of the people around you to be more innovative and, and, a, and a culture of innovation. But I would say a couple of really cool things we did. One is that check-in. Every time we come in to do a project, everybody says, I'm Jack, I'm checking in. I'm basically saying I'm committed, I'm present to being a part of this group right now. And when I, and when I take off my badge, I'm committing to be just like you. We're all voices are equal, and let's get after this project. We'll and we'll always have some element of play in our projects in order to stimulate the divergent side or right brain thinking. And then we'll always do social tech. We'll use social technologies to help make it okay to have abrasion when you need to make sure the group aligns around a solution together. Right. Um, one of the really cool things that's happened as a result of that simple part of our process is that in our full staff meetings now, which used to be, you know, uh, staff meetings, everybody kind of minding <laughs> the P's and Q's, right? <laughs> At the start of every staff meeting now, I mean, it's, there's, there's laughter, there's fun. We always kick it off with a playful element that engages you with your colleagues around you. And it's, it's just, it's just brilliant. And so um, that's one thing. Another thing that's been helpful is the process with which to actually go about getting a project in the lab. You have to have a, a vice president in the organization say this is worth spending time and resources on. And it has to be the VP that's kind of in line with what the concept is. Mm -hmm. So a staff member has just free reign to go approach a VP and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And the VP understands that it's okay to say yes or no. And then we have our report out process. So at the end of a project or at the at, at different phases, we'll bring in for a rough and rapid report out with three to four members of leadership. And the team members present their concept in a very rough, rapid fashion. And they have a, the leadership, we've given them a feedback grid to help them understand how they should give feedback. And so this dialogue becomes more generative the younger members of staff that are presenting that don't get a chance to do this in front of leadership are all the time are now being seen and leadership starting to see who are potential future rock stars. Right. And leadership's getting to interact with folks that they don't interact with all the time. And uh, those are just a couple of examples. I could go on and on and on. But I think the most important thing is if you're going to include a, a creative element of your innovation process, you've got to do some things that help remove the barriers to the creative potential of the staff. And a lot of times, it's not necessarily attacking culture head on, but beneficial culture change is actually a byproduct of removing the barrier, the barriers to the creative potential of your staff. Does that make sense? It. Yeah, totally. It makes sense. Again, talking through some of the language that you use and uh, creating, being intentional about some of that stuff. I think it's some of those things that are oftentimes forgotten that, you know, maybe sound frou-frou or, or, you know, not impactful, uh, especially in organizations that are, you know, metric driven and, and hard left brain. Uh, but some of that other stuff really does seem to have a, a impact on your ability to make progress on the ideas and that. So I appreciate you sharing that. 
So uh, is there anything else you want to share with our audience as far as some of the hiccups or uh, positive you know, case studies or, or uh, big wins that uh, you think our audience would uh, love to hear about? Mm. I heard three things in there. Positive things, hiccups, and some big wins. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll mention one thing that we're doing in our journey right now that I think would have been better if we had done, had done it earlier, earlier on. We're in the middle. We're about three weeks away from sharing with staff what we call the playbook, the Orlando Magic Innovation Playbook. And what we did was we identified several of the things that staff had always come back to us with the same question time after time on. And what we had never done was we had never put down more than just our process on paper. And what we've done is we've put down on paper and based on learning over the last three and a half years, stuff that staff knows that they can share publicly because we've been very sort of internal about what we've been doing up until this point. It also includes the full toolkit of every tool that we use in the lab so that they have access to it to, do, to use in their departments on their own or even at the board that they serve on for a nonprofit. And so we're excited to share this toolkit. And with this, we're also going to start utilizing. Last year, we brought our development, NBA Development League affiliate uh, local. And so now the NBA G League affiliate for the Atlanta Magic, the Lakeland Magic, are 50 miles away. We also bought a minor league hockey team for the, from the EH, ECHL, the Solar Bears. We've launched an esports team, and we have a couple of other elements of the team that are doing things that aren't necessarily within the core business. And so we are launching a idea management software not to do innovation, but so that we have a way for staff internally for us to capture ideas from all corners of the organization for something in real time. Mm-hmm. So if there's a big twist or something that happens, uh, a new a new tech release or something that, that is like a really big thing of the moment, we can quickly run a campaign to capture ideas to do something in real time. Whereas most of the projects that we run, uh, even if it's a full day, are typically through the report out process, take, a, take a, a little bit longer time in order to get to the concept phase, even though the, the goal is rough and rapid. But the idea, the, the software is something that we're launching. So that and the playbook are two things that we're doing. And I, we're just in the middle of the journey and we love sharing uh, what we've learned because everybody else that we encounter is usually very willing to give as well. And so this is our pleasure. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. If this conversation sparks some thoughts for you, write us a review on iTunes letting us know what you think. Or contact us on Twitter at the IO Podcast. Until next time, go out and innovate.